And as we go to Psalm 115 today, uh, let us just begin to read this passage and allow God uh, to just speak to us. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Let's, let's read that again. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. As we begin to see the beginning of this passage right here, uh, we see those that are crying out, this again psalm that's sung in the midst of worship, but it is crying out and saying this, it's not my name that needs to be known about in this world, it's your name. It's not me that needs to be magnified and glorified, it's your name. Now, and, and for, this per, for this reason, for the sake of your steadfast love. Now, in the Hebrew there, that word is, is chesed. You gotta get that rolling through there and you gotta sound like you're spitting something up. I know it sounds gross, but that's how they do it in the Hebrew. But it's that chesed, but that's God's faithful covenantal love. His covenantal love towards his people. He is faithful towards his people. But for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. God's covenantal love and his faithfulness, that's the reason why he's called to be known. Because God has a love that is beyond anything that we possibly can ever understand. We understand love because of who God is. But you and I have this problem. We are the ones that want to be known. We are the ones that want to be recognized. We are the ones that want people to look at us and say, ah, you're worthy. You are because you have wealth or wisdom or because you're likable or because you're funny, compassionate, caring. And we all of a sudden, we have this tendency to hijack God's glory. Why is that such a bad thing? It's such a bad thing of this. You and I are kind of narcissistic. We think that the world revolves around us. We think that our ways and what we want and how we want is the best. But have you ever wanted something that you thought was the best and it ended up actually causing all kinds of problems, not just for you, but for other people? Yeah. I look around us, most of us are old enough now to have said, it's not gonna work unless you do it my way. And your way got it and the whole thing tanked, right? Yeah. And not only did it tank, but it caused ripple effects to cause problems for other people, even people that you cared about. Why is it that we want to give glory to God? Is God narcissistic? Is he so arrogant and so self-absorbed? God is the greatest good. The reason why God desires that we point to him and the reason why he demands because God is the greatest good. Every time you point to him, he always does what is right. He always does what is good. When people look to me, they find disappointment, they find hurt, they find brokenness. They may find good things for a moment. If they find it, it's good, it's because of Jesus. But every time we look to God, every single time we find hope, peace, love, healing. Every time we look to God. Now on this earth, that feels like a rocky path, like it's not, but the reality is, starting here and into eternity, as I go towards God, every time we focus on God, we find, we find wholeness every time. That's why when God says, not, this is why this passage says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you, your name give glory for the sake of steadfast love and your faithfulness. Now, there are two reasons here that we can take away from God's name. The first is this. When we choose to disobey God and we engage in sin, Instead of being obedient and following after God, 
If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, whose name do I represent? I represent Jesus Christ. I represent God. So when I engage in sin, somebody in the world is going to look and say this. If that's who God is, I want no part of it. If that's who God is, I want no part of it. So again, how we live, what we do, what we say, how we do it should point to this. It should point to this in order to point back to him. But by our very sin and when we hijack God's authority and somehow we make it our own, we're gonna be our own authority in life, we take away from God's glory. But there's another way we take away from God's glory. Another way we take away from God's glory is when God is calling us to be obedient to him in a positive direction and we do not step out in faith as he calls us to be doing so. When we don't step out in faith, we end up not bringing glory to God. Now, let's just think about this for a moment. Can we add to or take away from God's glory of him and himself? No, right? God's, no matter what, he is all the glory that God has. He has it, always has, always will. But the perception to other people is we can add to his namesake or take away from his namesake by what we do. And we've already talked about sin, but the idea of faithfulness. The Christian life is just not about not doing bad things. Good grief. I wish that we would have a deeper understanding of what God desires from us. It's not just a not, I used to, that's probably bad grammar there, wife. You're gonna correct me on that one. Christianity is not a list of morals, don't do bad things. Christianity is about a faith towards God and relationship of stepping out on the things he's called us to because when we do that and something amazing happens, who's going to get the credit for that? Should be Jesus every time. If a pastor steps out, if a lay person steps out, if anybody steps out with ministry and they start talking about their wonderful ministry, you need to red flag it really quick. I'm not saying that they're not a child of God. I don't get to determine somebody's salvation. We don't get to do that. I will say this though. They are either very immature with what they are saying or they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. One of the two. Because nothing happens unless God does it. So we think about this, this glory and in this psalm, it says this. Listen to verse two. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Now, why are they saying this? We don't really necessarily have the context here. Is this the type of context where um, it's, it's more of the idea of they are in uh, Egypt at this point in time. And so they're saying, you know, where is their God? Our gods, our idols are stronger than they are. Where is their God? But the person in this moment, as they're singing through this psalm, the person that wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Other nations right now will look and say, you say your God's so powerful, why is he allowing this to happen? You say your God's so powerful, why is he allowing this to happen? You say your God's so magnificent, why are these bad things happening? Over and over again. Sometimes this is the atheist argument in this moment. If your God is so great, why does he allow suffering? How could a good God, he is either inept or he doesn't care? But here Israel is saying this, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God may be quiet, but he's not absent. God may be seeming in this moment that he's not at work. The reality though is this, he is at work. He is faithful. He is doing things in this moment that he's not calling us to feel or see 
He's telling us to trust the character of this glorious, magnificent God. Has he ever lied? Has he ever chosen not to fulfill his covenant or his promises? He's being reminded back to this. Now they go on this moment and says this, their idols, their idols, these gods that they, these foreign nations that are claiming, where is their God? They're saying, look at our God, how amazing our God is. But listen to this, think about this. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Countries are coming out and saying, who is this Yahweh? Look what our, our gods have done. And if you go back through the Old Testament and you think about it, you have the prophets of Baal. You have all these through where it seems as if these false gods, these idols are the ones that are winning and the Christian God is puny. It's interesting if you ever go back and you look at the study, just how many times that the different gods of these, of these other countries how in the Old Testament, if you ever study, those gods had a locale, whereas they were either the air or the sea or the earth, or they were something else like this. And yet, if you really study and look at the Old Testament, sometimes when you see God at work and the way the story is being told by a prophet in that moment, the prophet is doing the very thing that that God's supposed to be over, and yet it's Yahweh that is the victor every single time. Those who make the idols become like them. They become blind, deaf, and mute. They, in that moment, do not think clearly. This is what the author is telling us here. And have you ever thought about this? Why does God, why does our God, why does Yahweh, Elohim, why does he not want us to make an image of him. Have you ever thought about this? Why? Why does he not want an image made of him? Anybody want to venture on it today? What do you think, Samuel? Because he's already perfect, and if human hands make an idol of him, it won't be as good as God actually is. Nice one. I like it. I think there's other things, but I like that. I think that's good. Because think about it. God is perfect. If you make an image of him, is that image perfect? And then what happens? You worship the image, and the image is lower than God. And also on top of that, if our God is everywhere, how can he be in one place? How can he be contained? God is spirit. How can you make an image of something? But here, we are told to worship God according to who he is, not who we want him to be. But the idols, and if you ever go back and you look through this, it's always interesting that the idols represent the lusts of the people that worship them. The idols represent the lust of the people that worship them. In other words, they create something in their image so that they can justify what they want to do. But yet, for the follower of God, we are created in God's image. And thus we are saying, Lord, what do you want to do? We don't want to become ignorant and blinded. We don't want to become, well, I won't say ignorant, dumb, without understanding, like an animal. We want to be able in this moment to think and understand and relate clearly to this world that we're in the right way. But if we make an idol, 
if we worship an idol, if we look at an idol and begin to say, thus you have the answer, we become blinded to the reality around us. Think about it. Do any of you all have, have, you, have any of you all ever struggled with idols in your life? Anybody want to name anything? Of course not. Okay, relationships, relationships where you put this person on a pedestal, they're supposed to be everything, and then all of a sudden they either let you down or they break up with you or they leave you, and then all of a sudden, if you've put your hope in them, what happens? Devastated. And I've watched this, and I'm not, I'm not being critical because we all struggle, but I have, watched, I have watched this with believers, strong believers that put so much emphasis on their spouse or a loved one that when that loved one passed away, they didn't even know how to function. Now, I have never lost. I don't, I, I've been thankful to have my wife uh, of 20 plus years. I'm very thankful for that. I don't know how I would function if I lost her right now, I have no clue. But church, the reality is this. She is a helpmate, not my God. She is a person that comes in to help and support and we point each other towards Christ. And if something happens to her, there's grieving, there's hurt, there's loss, but I am called to function and live on because God should receive the glory. And if I have put so much attention, even in a godly marriage by the grace of God, even on that, that can become an idol if you don't watch it. Your children can become an idol. Your job can become an idol. Preachers can become an idol. We don't want to get into that one, right? Ooh. But it's true. Like expectations of others, like, like people will so sometimes like strive to be like the best because everybody says, oh, you're so smart, you can do this. You're already so good, so why aren't you the best? And so it's easy to get into the pattern of, even you to continue to success yes success i want to look good in other people's eyes that can become an idol but listen to what it says here o israel trust in the lord he is their help and their shield O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Over and over again, the protection, the protection in life and the help that we are seeking is not found in anything else but God himself. Nothing else. He tells the nation, Israel, it's God alone. But Israel, if we read through the Old Testament, time and time again, they wander away from God. They wander away. God promised them that there would always be rain. He would always provide for them. He would always do all these things. That's what he told them. If they would follow him and be obedient to his commandments. Do you know what they would do? They would drift and be disobedient. You know what would happen? They would go through droughts. You know how they tried to fix it? Instead of repenting and saying, we've sinned, we've broken against the covenant of what you've said. God, forgive us and do what's right. They begin to again, try to figure it out themselves and go to other gods that would make it rain because other lands seem to have this rain. Our land is barren. Let's go after these other gods. Even to the point that Israel began to sacrifice their children, their babies and kill them in order to get what their lusts wanted. And not one time thinking that it was murder, always thinking that they were doing the right thing. It's funny how we justify, we become blind when we have idols without even seeing what's holy and what's blasphemous. But trust, that first point today, church, that first point, trust in the Lord. What does that mean to you? Now, let's ask a better question. What does the Bible say that it means? Trust in the Lord. What does that mean to you? Let's ask a better question. What does the Bible say that it means? To trust in the Lord. 
I don't want to create my own definition of what that means because if I create the definition, I'm always right. But when I go into God's word and I begin to say, Lord, what is it that you would have me trust you and to seek after you? Then all of a sudden I'm come face to face with my falls, with my faults, with my failures, with my sin. And I'm able to go and say, God, I repent. I am sorry. I've created something in my own image. And God, you want me to understand the joy of fully trusting and following you. This is what you desire, that I would trust you. If the only way you're living for God is your moral list and not do bad things, you need to repent that you have created your God in your own image. You don't have the full image of God. What is it that he's calling you to follow him and to be about in the positive sense? Where is he calling you to step out biblically, personally, that God's calling you to do and say this, I'm asking you to follow me. Who is it that you share the gospel with? Who is it within your family that you need to speak truth to? How is it that you deal with your neighbor that you may need to work out a problem? How do you end up in a moment stepping out, doing the very thing that you are uncomfortable doing, but God is calling you to do it based upon the scripture? You can go all day long and say, well, Jesus loves me. Jesus has forgiven me and I'm going to heaven. That's a cop out. That is a cop out when it means following Jesus specifically in obedience. You don't fall back. Your salvation is not a safety net. Your salvation is a generator that propels you to follow after God. Do you understand how we've abused the idea that God saved us? It's a safety net to fall, instead of falling into hell, instead of a power that transforms us into looking and being and loving like our Lord and Savior. Amen. That is who God has called us to be. But it doesn't happen unless we trust him. It does not happen by just being morally obedient. It happens by saying, God, I read your word and in relationship with you of how much you love me and you're for me and not against me, that God, I will step out and do the things of the positive of what you've called me to do, to love my enemies, to care for the poor, to look at those that are broken, to care for the sick. There are things that God's calling us to do. That's not about moral. It's called obedience in living the life of Christ, looks like Christ in the world that points people to Christ. Trust in the Lord. O Israel, the nation, O house of Aaron, the priest, you who fear the Lord, the individual. It goes on and it tells us this. So our first point again, trust in the Lord. We go on to verse 12. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our second point, blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Now, this idea, again, of what does it mean to be blessed? A lot of times we, again, hijack this term and we think of blessed as things that are given to us. And again, God can choose to do that. But it's an idea of being favored by God. In some ways, it can be looked at an idea of happy or joy-filled contentment. Being highly favored of God is knowing again that God is for us and not against us. In the Old Testament, God had promised his na the nation of Israel 
that he was going to provide for them. And he blessed them in some ways richly. We look at uh, the kingdoms and we look at different things with the people when they were following after God. The, the different things that poured into the kingdom of objects, it was amazing. But we have to remember this. In an Old Testament setting, the power of the gods was a constant fight and battle in the Old Testament. It's still today, but it's, it's a different setup, even in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, God is protecting Israel because Jesus, the Messiah, has to come from that. If Israel's wiped out, the world has no hope. No hope. So there are contexts at times when God gives the blessings to Israel that's different than it even would be now. I'm not saying that God has changed. I'm saying the reasons why he does what he does, those change, but who he is never changes. So protection for the land, giving, making sure that it wasn't going through drought, different things as they followed after him because you had different gods that would say they controlled the storm, they controlled the rain, they controlled the agriculture. It says again in verse two, or verse three, our God is in the heaven and does whatever he wants. He does whatever he wants. So thus the favor at times would be God giving specific things to the people in order to counteract the other gods that would talk about what they could do. Yahweh always went over the top compared to any of the other idols or gods. Every time when the people were obedient. Now he could do it if they were disobedient at times, he did come and save them, but a lot of times it was conditional based upon their obedience. But what does it mean to be, what does it mean when Jesus says to be blessed? What does it mean when Jesus says to be blessed? Let's go just for a moment and look at Matthew 5. Listen to what he says here. Chapter five, verse two, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't sound like you're in the greatest position, does it? But let's go back really quick and think about what the blessing is. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit means you recognize that you are bankrupt, that you are full of sin. The reason why you're blessed is because your eyes become open and you recognize that the only thing that can fulfill you is a savior. His name is Jesus. It goes on and says this, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Does that mean that the thief that has mourned his loss is going to be comforted? Does that mean that the person that got caught for what they're doing in mourning, that they're going to be comforted? Those who mourn, why are they mourning? Because they are broken over their sin. I'm not saying that God doesn't comfort those that are going through brokenness, but what God is saying here, those that are mourning are those that have come into a point that they are broken by what's going on and they turn fully and 100% to God. Those people will be comforted. Why? Their brokenness had pointed them to the only one that can do something about it. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That sounds like a total, how can meekness inherit the earth? They're just gonna get run over. They're not gonna inherit anything. But we need to go back, what's the definition of meek? More importantly, who is the definition of meek? Jesus was meek. He spoke out against the Pharisees. He corrected wrongs. He spoke truth. At the same point in time, he also let them crucify him. Now, 
Jesus was not a wimp, but he was also not a steamroller bully. Meekness for those, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those that actually hunger, that are starving for righteousness sake. And everything that they seem to dine on in this world is not fulfilling. But those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Need to think about that one at some point in time. Merciful. I don't know if we know, I don't know if we understand mercy much anymore. I think if somebody blows it, our goal is to make sure they remember that they blew it. If somebody messes up, we make sure that they don't get an opportunity to ever mess up again. We make sure in a moment that uh, people that are wrong know that they're wrong. But if we would apply that same standard to ourselves, it would be very interesting how we would cry out for mercy and even ask why people are being so unfair to us. Merciful in the concept. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Why do I want to show mercy? Is because I have been given mercy because of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who's pure in heart? Those that have not sinned, that's none of us. How can we be pure in heart? No one, no one will see God except for we have Jesus, the Lamb. For those that put faith in Him that washes us as white as snow, we become pure. Not by what we have done, but by what He has done. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Declaring that God no longer has a vendetta against this world, but that he has come to proclaim peace to those that will surrender and know the love of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're blessed if we're persecuted for standing up for Christ. What does it mean to be blessed? God will Bless. Point two. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. When we follow after God, He will bless His people according to how He has said He will bless them. Please, this is something I want to encourage you to do as you're reading through. God's always the same. But sometimes we need to make sure that we understand context. Sometimes we try to take Old Testament stuff and force it into the New Testament instead of letting one interpret the other. Let me give you a quick example. If I were to write a letter to my wife and tell her, I want you to know that I have an undeniable love for you and that I greatly care about you. And then somebody were to come along later and they were to say, do you see what Sean said about me? That he has an undeniable love for me and he greatly cares for me. Now, I absolutely would have a love for people, but is it gonna be the same type of love for my wife that it's gonna be for this person? That's right. Call it out, baby. Amen. I agree. But this is my point. There are certain things that we read in the Old Testament and we automatically say, that means for us, that means for the United States, that means church, context of what God was doing and understanding. The blessings that come forth for Israel are not necessarily the blessings that come forth for America or even us as individuals. He can because he's that good, but it's not a guarantee. 
There's a reason why he was doing what he's doing. And that's the reason why in Jesus, when he gives those blessed are, it throws everybody on their head because that's not how Yahweh, that's not how you blessed Israel. Blessed are the peacemakers. David chopped Goliath's head off. What do you mean? Because we're no longer fighting for, please don't take this out of context. Please don't take it out of context. We're no longer fighting for a nation. If America falls, Christianity goes on. Um, We are no longer fighting to keep Christianity alive. Christianity is alive. We're fighting to proclaim the kingdom is still expanding. That's what we're doing. It's different. If Israel died and was wiped out, what would happen? You and I would have no hope. We would be destined for hell. We also would not want to serve a God that couldn't fulfill salvation as he promised he would, but he did. And even in Israel broke their covenant, God in his great wisdom and power exiled and took them into captivity for 70 years, protected them, in order to bring them back, in order that the Messiah and God would show his magnificence and the Messiah would be born. We are blessed when we follow and trust God. Some of the things you're weighing in your life right now, the reason I don't wanna step out, Sean, is because I think it will cost too much to do the right thing of what God's calling me to do. I'm gonna tell you right now, the enemy's lying to you, because God has already told you, you will be blessed more if you will step out and follow him in obedience than just saving yourself from going through difficulty. How do I know that? Because my God doesn't lie. Well, Sean, I did that one time before and that caused conflict within my family and that caused conflict at my work and that caused conflict. Do you think this is where you're living forever? Do you understand that we have a savior that is going to give us rewards and tell us well done? And the only reason it's well done is because we just surrendered and followed after what he told us to do, that he gave us the power to do it. And we said, yes, Lord. I'm just telling us, blessed are you when you follow after him in faith. Verse 16, the heavens are the the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This third point, those who trust in the Lord Proclaim him to others. Those who trust in the Lord proclaim him to others. Why do we proclaim him to others? Because it gives God glory. When we point people to the truth of who God is, God is magnified more and more. He is magnified and lifted up. Now, what does it mean by this? The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. God has everything, right? But in this song, it's telling us this. And there's a better way. Let me do it this way. There's a book that was written. I don't think it's even published anymore. I think you can still buy copies of it, but it's not published anymore. But it was called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. It's called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. And when you think about it, you're like going, what can you do here that you can't do there? Like, can you worship here? Yes, Are we going to worship there? Yes. Are we going to be able to pray here? Will we pray there? Because we'll be conversating directly with God, conversating. (laughs) We're going to have to talk later. Yeah, I know. You start to think about what are all these things? But here's the one thing that you can't do. I cannot share the good news of Jesus Christ when I'm in heaven because it's over. 
Everybody in that point in time knows him intimately as children of the Most High. So here, here, here is the one thing that God has given me by his direction, by his power, and by his strength for me to share the good news of the gospel that people will know a God that loves them, cares for them, forgives them, transforms them if they will humble themselves and repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. The reason why we exist in this world is to lift up God with all we do, with all we say, with everything about us. My mother-in-law was a very busy woman. She was always doing something, whether it be business or helping people or doing something. She was always doing something. Godly woman, loved my mother-in-law. She had started to deal with pain, but she was gonna push through it because you can't slow down. You got too many things to do. The pain got so much and found out that it was cancer. And so a woman who was vibrant with work and a woman that was vibrant taking care of other people and doing things, she got a diagnosis, stage four cancer. She began to journal about what was going on with her. And it was interesting being able to read through this godly woman's journal. There's times she had questions. There's times she wondered about things. But every moment that she got, even when she couldn't serve people anymore, she couldn't do what she wanted, she was always pointing people to Christ. And in a moment where she's being taken care of by her daughters, she didn't even have the ability to pray anymore because it was it's too hard to speak. But she'd ask. I know at times she'd ask my wife to pray. But she would agree as Dana was praying. It has always stuck out to me with my mother-in-law. That all the way through it, she knew her purpose was to point people to Jesus. Doctors, churches, Christians, non-Christians. It was to make sure that people knew the God that existed in this world as their creator loved them. And that they could know him intimately, transformed, changed The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into the silence. The dead do not praise the Lord. The dead after they're dead and the dead now that are walking amongst us. You may be one of them. The dead are those that have made other idols other than God, their strength, their power. And thus they are dead in their sins 
and do not have the ability or the power to communicate truth. And the dead do not praise him. They do not praise him on this earth. And when they die, a second death, they will never praise him. They will never one time apologize to God when they are in hell. They will never one time in the lake of fire ever tell God that truly he was the greatest God ever. If you don't believe it now, you won't change your mind no matter what happens. You'll have regrets. But if you're not gonna serve him here, you won't serve him at any other time, ever, ever. But it says this, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We will praise him here. We will point people to him. We start now. Why can we do that? Because we have recognized our nastiness, our sinfulness. We are lost in our sins away from God. And yet Jesus Christ came and paid the price. The Passover lamb paid the price for sinners that whoever puts faith in him. And when I say that, church, please let us understand. It's not just an intellectual assent to what's going on or consent to what's going on in my life. It is the acknowledgement that he is Lord and I adjust my life to actually follow him with my life. It's not good enough. There is nowhere in the Bible that it says, I say that Jesus is Lord, I get, I follow him in baptism and I'm good. You will not find that in here, ever. The whole part of the gospel is this. Read through it. Those that followed Christ, gave their life to Christ, were transformed and began to look like Christ live like Christ, and when they blew it because of this flesh, because the Holy Spirit dwelt within them, they repented and began to look more and more like him. They were obedient in following after him and proclaiming him and praising him, and people around began to believe in Jesus. Do you proclaim Christ in every area of your life are there areas of your life right now that may have idols that are in them? Are there things that you need to repent of? I didn't ask, do you have a relationship with Jesus? I asked, is, there every, is every area of your life surrendered to following God? If somebody were to look at that area of life, what would they conclude? Would it bring glory to God or would it take away from his name? And if there's areas that would take away from his name, would you repent? And would you recognize this? We have a God that's for us and not against us, right? He's not asking you to fix yourself. He's saying, come and lay it before him. Allow, he will transform us. He will soften our hearts. He will change us to look more and more like him. It's not what we're gonna do. It's how we come before him and say, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? I admit to you this is sin. I admit to you this is wrong. I admit to you I've made idols that are not glorified. None of the idols are ever glorifying. It's you and you alone. So Lord, I trust you and I will be obedient and I will follow. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our peace. He, dare I say it, is our self-control. Everything that we need is found not in us getting better. It's in surrendering and allowing him to live in us by being obedient to what he's called us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you give us your word so that we will seek after you. Lord, forgive us when we have read through that 
and read through your word and we know it and can quote it, but Lord, we don't live it. Father, forgive us for taking verses of what we want them to mean instead of, Lord, taking holy your whole word of what you tell us it's supposed to mean. Father, we thank you that you have put us within a body of believers. Lord God, to recognize, Lord, that as we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, sometimes as we lovingly rebuke one another, that, Father, ultimately what we're trying to become is not better people and not good Christians. Father, we are trying to become like you. That when somebody looks at me, they say, that's Jesus. That's how Jesus looks. That's how Jesus acts. Father, that when they look at us as a body of believers, they say, that's what Jesus looks like. Father, when we sin, when we blow it, when we mess up, that we repent, that we proclaim how we've blown it so that when people look at us, we're able to say, I did not look like Jesus in that moment. I did not represent Jesus in that moment. And I want to look like the Savior who saved me by his power and by his love. Lord, do your will of what you need to do. Search through our hearts and our minds. Father, let us experience that hope and the joy of salvation that you've given us. It will not happen if we put effort into it, Lord. It will only happen if you do the work that you've promised to do as we follow you. And it's in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.